Hi, welcome to another episode of the Weld.com podcast. I'm Bo Wigington. In this week's episode, I got to chat with Ben Kaya, owner of Spike Brewing, where they make amazing stainless steel homebrewing equipment. I am a huge fan of craft beer and recently got into the homebrewing game, as well as doing collaborations with breweries around North Carolina with my band Chuck Mountain. I found Ben's company when looking around at what was on the market and was blown away and wanted to hear about the process of starting his business and manufacturing his products. He shares how he started by modifying old kegs when he fell into it in college. We talk about the age-old battle of welder versus engineer, sourcing material, and even get some insight into how they qualify welders to come work for them. We dive into the episode after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you looking for a machine that has the versatility to handle MIG, TIG, and stick, as well as being able to run off of various power sources at the same time? Look no further than the Lincoln Electric 210MP. This was the first machine I picked up when I started my journey into welding, and it has never let me down. Light enough to carry into anywhere I might need to take it, with the ability to plug right into the wall when 220 isn't available, It has helped me build, repair, and create in all kinds of environments. There are all kinds of machines out there on the market, but from my personal experience, putting countless hours on this one, it's the first one I recommend to people looking for their first multi-process welding machine. Find out more over at LincolnElectric.com. Looking to unleash your inner craftsman? Look no further than Outlaw Leather USA, where they specialize in crafting custom-made leather welding gear that offers maximum protection from heat and sparks. With their product's superior quality, construction, and durability, you can count on them to stand up to any job. And with their outstanding customer service and dedication to providing you with the best possible experience, you can trust that you're investing in the quality you deserve. As a special bonus for listening to the podcast, you can get 10% off your order by using the special promo code WELD10 at checkout. Invest in quality with Outlaw Leather USA today. Do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience just in case they're not familiar with you and your company? Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Ben Kaya. I am the owner of Spike Brewing Equipment. We make brewing equipment for mostly home brewing, but also commercial as well. Typically guys that are going from the home brewing and they've been doing it for 10, 15, 20 years and they want to start their own business and get into the commercial side. We're a really good entry point with our one barrel system that we have. And we've had hundreds of people kind of make that leap. So we kind of go from anyone that's starting to brew all the way up to people that are looking to go professionally. How did you stumble into the brewing world? Were you a home brewer that turned into like, this was your passion or like, where did that come from? So that's always an interesting, fun story. So I started the business when I was 20, I'm 35 now. So, which I just turned 35, I kind of coming to that realization, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I've been doing it 15 years now. So I went to university of Wisconsin, Milwaukee for mechanical engineering. And I was about 20 and I moved into a house. And we had some extra beer kegs laying in the basement and no one believes me, but I swear they weren't mine. I'm not saying that I wasn't drinking beer kegs, you know, out of beer kegs when I was in college, but 
just had three random beer kegs laying in the basement. And I, I come from kind of a, a technical side and a handy side and someone I was always trying to get a side hustle, make some extra cash. So like, okay, well, I know these stainless steel heavy kegs are worth something. Mm-hmm. Called around a couple of scrap yards. They're like, nah, we can't take kegs that people steal them and whatever. So I'm like, okay, back in the, back in the day, your listeners might know Craigslist existed. Now it's all Facebook marketplace, but I threw them up on Craigslist and within like an hour or two, I had a couple people emailing me like, I'll come pick them up right now. So I sold the three kegs. I think I sold them for like 40 bucks each. I'm like, shit, hundred. 120 bucks for a college kid. Like I'm, I'm rich now. I'm like, okay, well I know a ton of other people on campus that have kegs can get kegs that are having parties, whatever. So I ended up just emailing a bunch of people. I literally was actually putting flyers up outside of the gym and just said, Hey, if you're, if you got kegs, hit me up, email me. And I got a couple more people giving me kegs. So I did that for maybe like a month or two and had the novel idea to ask someone that was buying them. Like, what do you, what do you do with these things? And what they were doing is they were brewing beer in them. They were cutting the tops off the keg. And then they were either welding on a fitting or just drilling a hole in the use what's commonly used as, or referred to as a well list fitting, which is just an O-ring with some compression seals. And they're adding a valve and thermometer and they were brewing beer in it. And it was during, I think this would have been like 2010. So it's kind of during the, the recession, great recession and housing crash where people are probably trying to save money and buying a beer keg from some college kid was a lot cheaper than buying it off of some website. So that's really how I got started. And at that point, I realized that I can do that myself. Value add, obviously, that's a pretty common term. And I said, let's, let's do some value add to this. Instead of selling them for 40 bucks, I can sell them for 60 or 70. So I started, got an angle grinder, made a jig, was cutting the tops off. And then I was drilling out the holes. And I found a welder off, again, Craigslist. And I, I packed, I had a Mustang back in the day. I could fit six beer kegs in the Mustang, two in, two in the trunk. I think three in the back and then one in the passenger seat. So I was hauling beer kegs down to the south side of Milwaukee to have them welded up by some contract dude in his backyard and did that for a, a, a long time. And that's kind of how I got into the the whole beer industry started so before I was even of a, a legal drinking age. So kind of a random story, but that's how a lot of businesses start. You just kind of stumble in and it slowly grows. That's crazy, man. Like, that's so yeah. funny. I mean, because yeah. I'm a home brewer as well, and I never even thought about brewing out of a keg and just like, well, yeah. I'm a welder, so I can weld all those fittings and stuff on. That's, I got to make a note. I got to make a note yeah. of that. <laughs> but so, okay, when you started working with these welders, what helped propel your business? Were you just like, okay, we're going to focus more on this brewing side, so we got to come up with drawings and stuff? Like, how did you develop your product? Yeah, so the what really got my foot in the door was the welding. And I don't say that just because you know, we're on a, a welding podcast. It, it literally was the welding. The other company that was around, the only other company that was around at the time that was making dedicated brewing equipment used those weld lift fittings. So it's literally just a hole with an O-ring and a, a nut behind it and just made a compression seal. They're loose. They can leak. The O-rings go bad if you're heating your kettle on a on an open flame, like propane or natural gas, they can melt. Like there's just all these issues that you see with it. And I came in and I started reading all the forums and, and hearing people that were hobbyist welders saying, Hey, like I bought this beer keg and I'm welding it. I don't have to deal with welded fittings and all the, the BS that has to kind of surround that. And it kind of built a business around the welding. And that's for the first probably five years is really what propelled the business is we just pushed the welding and it being 
a solid seal. It's never going to leak. It's cleaner. It's more sanitary. Just all the benefits that come with welding. And like I said, the first five years, that's really what propelled us because nobody else was doing welding. And now everybody does welding. No one really even offers the welded stuff anymore. So unless you're on like the really, really low end. So that's, that's really what, what propelled us. And I learned a ton when we were first. I'm almost embarrassed to look at the old welds that we were putting out when we first started. I've had people send photos of kettles that we made 15 years ago. Actually, a guy here in Milwaukee, he's a professional brewer now, one of the, the big breweries. He's got one of, we tracked it down as like one of the, probably the first 25 kettles we ever made. And the welds on it looked like absolute garbage. And, <laughs> but, but, you know, you, over 15 years, you learn about they got to be the tight fit up and sanitary. And, and I think at one point, one of our welders was like MIG welding them. So like, it, it, you just learn all this, all this stuff. And it was, it's been a, a super interesting journey. I've, I've learned more about welding than I would have ever, ever thought in a million years, but it's, it's super interesting. And I love being able to talk shop with, with our guys downstairs that, that do all the welding. So when you started growing your company and just having more of a footprint in the brewing world, you have to up your products. You were talking to me a little bit before about how you used to do testing. You've tested a bunch of welders on sanitary stuff. What in the sanitary world, what were the big things you learned, I guess, about sanitary welding versus someone just using a MIG gun to put it on? Yeah. So, I mean, I could probably talk a long, long time on that because it's been an, a pretty ongoing change from where we started with no back purging. And maybe I can take a, a little bit of a step back on back purging. So when you're, when you're welding, I'm sure many users or listeners know, but when you're welding stainless, it has to be back purged by argon. And otherwise you get it sugared and it just looks super, super nasty. So that's why I say that the welds that we were first kicking out were embarrassing because they were all sugared. We'd grind them down, but you're getting pits and cracks and it just looked like junk. So it probably took at least a year to find another welder that knew, Hey dude, you got a back purge these. I'm like, Oh, what is, what does that mean? Yeah. And uh, so then we, we would, uh, they were actually like taping a cup. I think it was probably like a Coke can taping it up against the back. And it, it worked when we were doing maybe 10, 20 welds at a time. But you know, once you start doing any volume, every time you tape it up, it's taking longer to, to set up than, than the weld. So then eventually actually the, Sold the Mustang, sad. Had to buy a Ford Ranger, the hey, good old Danger Ranger. Not a bad trade. Miles, but hey, but no, it, it, it worked. So found a company actually that was down about an hour away, but professional. They make massive tanks, like like massive, massive. Mostly dairy, but they're trying to get into brewing. And again, it was during kind of the economic turndown in 08, 2010. And they were just hungry for work. And luckily they took us in. And I learned more about welding than I, than I possibly ever could have. The company is actually, was called Sprinkman at the time. And I think now we actually employ three people that used to work there. So it's kind of funny how the, everything comes full circle, but they actually created some kind of pneumatic ram and jigs that would, you'd put it into the inside of the kettle, you hit a button, it would seal up against the inside of the weld and it would feed in argon. So we went from taping up a tin can that took probably a minute or two to do to 10 seconds and it would, yeah, it was an awesome idea and learned a lot about just that it has to be back purge. You have to fully back purge it and using the kind of the Ram idea was awesome. So that's similar to like what we use right now. We were always kind of custom tweaking it and you don't want to have too big of a pocket, I guess, for back purging. Cause then you got to wait a little bit longer to fully purge out 
any oxygen. So it, it's it's been 15 years of learning. But yeah, once we got the back purge figured out, we were probably like the 90th percentile. And now it's just kind of tweaking at half a percent, one percent. And we, we have it just absolutely dialed. Our, our welds look absolutely incredible. And the, our welders are just super talented. As, as far as specifically what we're doing too, it's all TIG. We're using, I believe it's 308 filler rod. It's all, I think they're using like 035 or 045 filler rod if they need it, but it's trying to fuse it probably about 99 times out of a hundred. We really, really focus on fit up. That's, you know, it's all about fit up pretty much, especially with sanitary. So we, we really focus on the fit up. Our welders will uh, bitch and moan pretty badly (laughs) and and let us know very quickly once the fit up is not good. But yes, as as long as you have a fit up, they, they're, they're doing everything pretty much fusion walk the cup. If something blows out, yeah, we're using 308L. And uh, that's pretty, pretty much what we've used ever since the start. That's a huge thing that people talk about all the time. I'm glad you brought up fit up. With sanitary, it's a lot of time you are, you're doing autonomous welding, which is not adding the actual filler. You're just fusing the two pieces because you're working with yeah. very, very thin material a lot of the time. Yeah, so a lot of our fittings, they'll be like 065 thickness. And then we're welding that to something that might be like 040, 050. So you can cannibalize a little bit of that metal and it makes the fusion weld a little bit easier. And I know the, the guys like it. Just a few, you can just walk the cup and it's, just, it's really easy. And if the fit up's great, I mean, you can, I've had welders have a conversation with me as they're walking the cup, walking around a fitting. Not sure how they do it. That's just incredible to me and how talented people can be and just like how robotic, but yeah, it's crazy to watch. Yeah. Have you thought about orbital welding? Like, have you looked into that process at all? Yeah, I've seen that a couple of times at different trade shows. I think with Fabtech down in Chicago, we've gone a couple of times. It's really like the setup and cost just don't make a lot of sense for us. Mm-hmm. We're doing a lot of like custom things. So we, we obviously have our standard offerings, but we'll get people that write and say, hey, I want a fitting here, 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 and here. So sometimes you get it too close where you couldn't get like kind of the bulky orbital in there. My dream right now is to get a laser welder. I think those are the coolest thing. We don't really have a use for it. I almost want an engineer product so we can use it. But uh, <laughs> I love watching those videos. That's a really cool technology that, that I've been looking at. But yeah, the orbital doesn't make too much sense for what we're doing. That's very fair. I just know a lot of like kind of industrial stainless steel stuff they're going to be doing a lot of orbital welding with. And I was just like, I didn't know if that was something that would help or hinder your process. So. As far as the engineering side, because you have a mechanical engineering background, what when you're designing all of these parts, is there a back and forth with your welders? Are they putting input into your engineering, or do you, they just like complain about it if it's not what they want? Because there's in the welding world, there's this big like fight between engineers and welders because welders are like, trust me. I know how this yeah. is going to work. And then engineers are like, trust me, this theoretically should work. It's like, what's that? that back and forth conversation like for you? Yeah. So, so my degree is in engineering, but I think most engineers are idiots and I'm sure <laughs> most, uh, the welders out there will agree with me on that one. Yeah. I heard uh, everyone but, cheer, dude. I just heard everyone. Yeah, go, well, yeah. They, they need to get away from their laptop screen and go walk down on the shop floor. And we do a really good job with that. Our engineers are on the shop floor probably 80% of the time. And a lot of the, the earlier products that we work worked on, we don't really need to do the drawings and, and call outs. It's like, hey, Jimmy, take this fitting, 
and weld it to this tank. You yeah. Know, like, like pretty, pretty easy. But like as far as setup and back purging and, and things like that. Yeah. I mean, they give a lot of feedback. Some people might call it complaining. Uh, <laughs> you know, if, if I go a day without hearing a welder complain, like I know something, something's wrong. I go down and check on them. It must be um, a holiday, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It must be Saturday. No, I love those guys. But, uh, yeah, so the the newer products that we're coming out with are a little bit more complex. So we're designing like full brewing systems, and they might be the the system itself might be six seven feet in three four feet tall, and then that's just the frame, and then it has tanks on top of it. And I know our engineering, and I, I'm right now I'm really not in engineering as much as I used to be. I'm more like overseeing the business and, and ops side, but you know I'm involved enough in those meetings where the engineers draw something up on CAD, which is great. Typically, an engineer would then put it in production and say, here, go make this. Mm-hmm. And then the welders would be like, okay, this is literally impossible to make. What we do, and I think we do a really good job of it, is we call up our shop guys and our, our welders who are going to have to put this together. And say, okay, where should we start? Where should the bends be? We do a lot of notch, and, notch bend and weld. So we'll buy like a 20-foot stick, let's say 2-inch by 2-inch stainless square tube, and we'll, we'll cut it, and it'll be notched. So it's actually not separated that's still together on one side and three sides are notched so all we have to do is bend it into place but we need to figure out okay where do we need it to bend what what pieces should be kind of attached and which ones you know the verticals that should be welded in or do we want the verticals to be kind of the notch and bend and that's where we go back and forth a lot between engineering and the welders because most of the cost is going to be on fabrication time Mm -hmm. so it's actually really easy like the, the material is the material. If, if it takes 100 feet of material to make this stand, we need 100 feet. It doesn't really matter if we're buying five pieces at 20 feet each or 10 pieces at 10 feet. Really where we can make money and be super efficient is how does this go together and what's kind of the order of operations and where you start. And that's been really cool from an owner's side to really take a step back and see those guys interacting and knowing that you're avoiding the, the typical engineer and welder or shop person butting of heads of like the stupid engineer is sending us drawings that can't be made. And then the welders complain and engineers are like, Oh, the stupid welders aren't doing their job and do, you know, do it. You know, I know best. Here's my four year degree hanging on the wall. Like I've dealt with that. I've seen that. I used to work at big corporations and it's something that I just made sure to not bring into my company and growing up blue collar. Like it's just like, you're not better off than someone cause you went to school typically the people down on the shop floor are going to have way more knowledge on how something should go together on a technical side than the, the guy sitting behind the computer screen. If you actually listen to your welders, like what you were talking about saving on the fabrication time, because I mean, when you're in production, it's all about like time is money and any way you can save time, that's just going to move that profit amount for you in the long run. What have been some really big things that you stumbled on where it was like, oh my gosh, this is a huge time saver when it comes to working with certain materials. So like stainless, like, is there like anything that you found that was just like, man, this speeds up production, you know, the notching definitely, but. Part two comes to mind. The notch bend was something that one of our suppliers kind of brought to our attention. And then our fab team kind of took and ran with that and tested it out. And then, it, and then it almost worked up backwards to engineering. I'm like, yeah, we like this. Go draw it for us. That, so we made a, we, we have a cart that's probably about two feet by 
about six or seven feet and it's a big rectangle and there's a top piece, a bottom piece, and then some verticals. I'm sure everyone kind of picture what that looks like. Those top pieces, it was four separate pieces. So you had to jig it up. You had to picture it. You had to align it. You had to check square. It, it went from, and then we went from a notch and notch bend cut or not notch cut weld to, I mean, maybe an hour to build just that top piece. If that even, because you're just, you have pretty much like one weld, make sure everything's squared and then lock it down and go to town. So that, that was huge. I mean, that saved hours and hours of work for us. I mean, and that's, you know, whatever everyone, whatever you want to charge for your shop rate times that by a few hours, it adds up really quick. Yeah. The other big one too, was we use a DC weld cleaner mm-hmm. to clean weld. So again, if anyone that's not familiar with stainless, like once you weld it, you get, we refer to it as heat tents. I think that's pretty common, but you kind of get like the blues and the yellows and Obviously, it looks cool sometimes. Maybe you want to see that for more like aesthetic or artsy stuff. But for us, our customers don't want to see that. So before and, and super common, like you're using abrasives. Abrasives are super expensive. It's potentially hazard. You got to wear your glasses and you probably want to wear a mask and gloves. Where we went to this DC well cleaner, which you just hook up a ground and you dip this little brush into an acid and you wipe it on and it literally just like eats away. It also passivates it too, which is nice. So it kind of seals the oxide layer. So it doesn't, it's not going to rust or it helps prevent any rusting as well. So it's kind of a, a double-edged sword. And it's, that's another thing where time-wise it's a lot quicker. But then also too, we don't have a bunch of abrasives that we have to use too. We, we only use abrasives if we have like a blowout and have to use filler and kind of have to blend it together. But again, with that, it saved us a ton of money and time and, and also just skilled labor. Like we, we can have a lot less skilled labor. We can have a guy come in at 15 bucks an hour. That's high school degree. Never held an angle grinder in his life and give him five minutes of training. And he can use the DC well cleaner where do an angle grinder. This it's a skill this takes a little bit of time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Are you looking for a school that'll give you the art time you need and skills to succeed out in the workforce? Look no further than our friends over at Art Labs. With four locations spread across South Carolina and one out in Houston, you have plenty of options on where to attend. Learn from professionals in the pipe, structural, pharmaceuticals, shipbuilding, and construction industries who'll teach you more than just how to pass a test, but how to excel in your job. Speaking of jobs, they also work with you on job placement, offering guidance on industries and prepping you for what you will encounter not only on their weld test, but also out in the field. They've even started a new internship program where you can get real-world experience that can turn into your next job. Their students have gone on to land jobs with companies like Lockheed Martin, Boiler Tube of America, Arc Energy, Crowder, Ingalls, and many more. If you're ready to jump into a career and get the best training around, head on over to artlabs.edu to find out more information today. Have you experienced the power of black and yellow yet? Those are the sharp shades of ESOP welding and cutting. And though the brand has been around since 1904, its welding power doesn't live in the past. Oh no. ESOP is breaking through the limits of what welding equipment can do every damn day. Plug into the full MIG, TIG, and stick package of Rebel. See under the hood with Sentinel's wide view and perfect optics. 
Cut time and mistakes with Thermodynamics Manual Plasma Cutter. Simplify your automated welding with the app-based software of Esob Cobot. Even go off-grid with the Ruffian, the best compact engine drive you'll ever lay your gloves on. Or Volt, the first and only welder to run on DeWalt standard power tool batteries. How incredibly powerful is that partnership? ESOB is leading a new age of welding power, and that power belongs in your hands. Check out the full light and heavy industrial lineups at ESOB.com. And then as far as like saving time and everything, as far as your finishes, so a lot of like, is there a process with finishing or are you buying material where it has that mirror finish already? Yeah, so we, we do a little bit of both. Some of our tanks that come in from our suppliers will have more of a, a super polished, not mirror. We don't. We actually specifically stay away from mirrors. It's hard to keep clean, and yeah. it's like the imperfections, it's, it's really difficult to deal with. So it, it's kind of like between a polished and a brushed, it's, it's kind of a nice-looking finish. We work with our suppliers specifically to kind of get that finish we want. And then on our more commercial tanks, we use, I think it's a 2B, so it's a little bit more matte and... Uh, that that works really nice too and it, it just kind of depends on what product is going out the door but we don't really do too much finishing it's really the we we spec that out of the material that we we get from our suppliers and we just do our best not to mess that up so it <laughs> usually comes in with laser wrap and we have some material handling that we make sure we're not scratching or denting or anything so another thing oh it just flew away I had a great question when it came to like <laughs> I had a great answer too. <laughs> I know, I know. I, I heard it in my head. Okay, material. We're talking about material, stainless, huge shortage. How have you dealt with yeah. that? Yeah, so during COVID, that was a huge pain in the ass for a long time. So we have both domestic and international suppliers. Both of them were terrible. It was hard to get things. And when you could get it, I mean, I think we were seeing two or 300% increases in material. That was one where for them, we did have a price increase. I think that was 2002 or one in the summer. Can't remember. One of those two years. That helped kind of compensate a little bit for it. A lot of it, like we just let margins get eaten. Our, our kind of thought was this is going to be a blip and we can kind of ride it out a little bit. And for the most part, like things have come back down. We don't really see it. They didn't come back down like fully to 2019, but pre-pandemic, but they're, they're pretty close. The shortages, we haven't really run into that right now either. So it seems like everything's kind of back to normal, but yeah, it was, it was pretty wild for, for a while there for, I mean, probably the better part of 18 months of just trying to find it. We were going to like, sec, like we've, we've been with one vendor that handles most of our stainless for 12 years and even they were like, we can't get it. Well, here's a list of other suppliers in the area. Like, it, no hard feelings. Like, no one can get stuff. And if you can get stuff, like, we're just happy that you can keep the doors open and be there at the at the, the end of this and hopefully come back. So, but yeah, it's, it's kind of all settled down. And I'm sure everyone's, it's just everything. It's just been so hard to get. Not not even stainless. It's like every material out there. Yeah. And then with your distribution of your products, too. Like, that's that's been a big issue over the past couple of years. The supply chain and everything, actually even being able to get stuff out. Like, have you encountered a lot of that? Like, how have you navigated that aspect? Yeah, so a lot of our stuff that's coming from overseas, it was just an absolute nightmare. Containers were taking probably three times longer to get here in cost probably about three times as much. So Damn. we got the, 
the, the double <laughs> benefit of three times longer and three times more expensive. So that, that was, again, a good 18 months of dealing with that. The transportation stuff wasn't as bad domestically. It was just trying to get it. And there was like the trickle down effect where we have, we do a lot of coiled stainless steel and we had, a, we have a supplier here in Wisconsin. We have another one in Arizona. And at one point, like the main one in Wisconsin couldn't get material. They're telling us like 50 weeks, which pretty much just tells us like piss off. We, yeah, we can't like, do it. <laughs> come, ta- come tell us, they're talking to us next year. And then the Arizona one, it's a smaller shop. So they're a little bit hungrier for the work. They, I mean, it took them like a month to find material. I think it actually came from Canada. They had to like import it. So yeah, just absolute craziness to try to just get the base material to turn that into something that then we can sell to our customers. And yeah, I'm sure the customers didn't, don't appreciate how much, all the lengths we went to and not even us, but just every, every small business out there. It, it was constant hair on fire for a long time. Yeah. I feel really hard. Like I feel for the manufacturers out there. Cause I was working during the pandemic. I was working at a steel yard. So I was, I, <laughs> I, I saw it firsthand. It's like, I saw a very, yeah. very close relationship of like how terrible it was trying to get people with material shifting gears a little bit to the welders. Okay. So when you are looking for one, there's a massive shortage of welders. And so when you're trying to find welders, how are you going about that? Like, where are you finding the people to come work for you? Yeah. So starting off, it was always on Craigslist, which I don't think is probably the best medium nowadays. It's kind of died off a little bit, but that used to be really, really good for us, especially for finding like contract guys that maybe want to do two or three hours after work as kind of a side hustle. Mm-hmm. That worked out really well for us. Since then, we've kind of moved more towards like traditional places like Indeed or Monster or kind of the more the job job boards like that. Another place like Word of Mouth too. And like I said, Jimmy and Jordan and Matt, all three of our welders are all from a company called Sprinkman that was here locally. And they were, I think, laying some people off or it was kind of not going the right direction. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I think we hired Matt first and he enjoyed working, you know, at Spike and he brought over his two guys, Jimmy and Jordan. So it's, it's, yeah, I think welders, they kind of travel in packs sometimes. And if you find a company that's fun to work for and paying you an honest wage, it's all those, all those different factors. Like you might get paid a shit ton of money, but if it's the garbage job or, you know, a, a terrible company that, you know, the engineers are <laughs> like, we talked about it previously, yeah. like not, not the easiest to work with. I think we have a really good balance or we, we at least try to, and those guys have been with us for probably at least two years each now. And it's just a fun environment. It's, I think it's a little bit easier for us to hire because we're smaller. We're not very corporate. We have beer on tap. I was at the shop literally 20 minutes ago and Jimmy was grabbing a beer with, with Chad and after work and just kind of, it's, it's a chill environment and it's fun. And there's some, there's obviously some value to that. It's, not only enjoying what you do, but enjoying your job and employer and the people that you work with. So I would say on the whole, not just welders, like we've had a pretty knock on wood, a pretty good time and easy time of hiring people. And a lot of it's been like friends of friends or people that'll, some of my best employees have actually written to me and saying, Hey, I would love to come work for you. I, I like what you guys are doing, or I want to get into the brewing industry or the craft beer industry and you're local to Milwaukee. So those are some of the best people that work for me about four or five, six years. And nowadays, I mean, shit, if you can get someone works for you more than 30 days, sometimes that's, that's a win in itself. So getting three, four five years out of somebody is, is, is awesome. It's absolutely awesome. 
And then when you do bring these welders in, like, how do you qualify them? Do you have someone that's in charge of, like, you were telling me that you've done weld tests for people in the past. Like, like how are you qualifying the welders that come to work with you? Yeah, so I, I was doing all the weld testing up till probably four or five years ago. And pro- I probably weld tested at least 50 people, I would say. I wish hiring and interviewing people was as easy as weld test because <laughs> it's like, here's a hole, here's a fitting, weld this and make it look good. Yeah. And it's, it's a pass fail. It, it's obviously like we look at your resume and the personality and stuff like that. We do a lot of personality testing as well to make sure that you're just going to be a, a good fit. We have a, a program called Wise Hire um, that we use. And it, it's been actually really, really helpful to see what you value as an employee. Because like I said, we don't want you here for 30 days. We want you here for as long as you want to be here for, as long as we want you to be here for. So we want to make sure it's a good fit for everybody. But yeah, it's really pass fail. We do, we have a lot of NPT ferals and triclamp ferals that we put on, that we weld on. I mean, we do hundreds a day, most likely, and or on most days. And it's like, I'll stick you with one of the welders, show them the setup and give them five, 10 tries. Sometimes they come in nervous. Obviously, I, I understand that, but make sure they can pack it up, make sure that, you know, everything's good to go, that our setup is optimal and then lay down the weld and your weld kind of speaks for your talent. I've seen a lot of welders humbled and (laughs) I I love welders, but they're cocky and arrogant and they think they're the best welder out there, which I love. I mean, I I love, I, I love the, the confidence. I have some of that myself, some, some people might say a little bit too much if uh, you have them, <laughs> but I love when welders come in and say, oh, I've welded on nuclear and x-ray and this and this. And I'm like, okay, man, that's great. Try to weld this thin stainless together. Yeah. And I've seen many guys not even be able to tack up our stuff and they walk out with their helmet in their hand, very disheveled. And I, uh, I can't help to get a little bit of joy when someone <laughs> walks in telling me everything they've welded on, they can't tack it up because I know what we do is really difficult. Yeah. And I, I talk up our welders because I know the guys that we have are really good at what they do. And they're, yeah, I always say it, I mean, they're top 10 percentile of guys out there. It's super specialized. It's thin stainless. It's sanitary. It's fusion. It's walking the cup. It's kind of like all these different techniques and, and things thrown into one. So we've probably hired over the years, we've probably had maybe like eight different guys that have welded maybe 10 at the most. And like I said, I've personally well tested 50. I know we've probably well tested another 25 or more. So it, a lot of the guys come in and they, they can't do it. And it's maybe not a reflection of their skill set. It's just specifically like what we do is very unique and go back and work on your trade and, and do kind of the, the thin stuff that we do. If that's what you want to get into, I mean, it's way different than pipe welding on half inch thick oil yeah. rig or, you know, yeah. oil pipe stuff. It's it just, it's, it's different. It's, it's what you want to do. If you want to be in the sanitary stainless thin stuff, that's one direction and there's a there's not even one there's a hundred other directions that you can go as well yeah well and that's like when i went i went to welding school and that was my focus because i'm i'm in the craft beer world like i'm a big fan i play yeah. in a band and a bunch of different breweries my dad has a wine and beer shop like i love the beer world and so like that yeah. was my goal getting into it i was like i want to learn sanitary yeah. and i was humbled real fast too like when i started practicing the sanitary stuff because i can weld a super heavy coupon all day long 
but then as soon as you you have this microscopic metal pretty much like you fire up and it's just gone it's it's a whole yep. different world as far as your welding equipment like what what kind of machines are you running with is it stuff that's going to have like foot pedals are you doing more like hand control like what what type of setups do you use yeah so starting out i had all everlast equipment which i'm a big fan of it's cheap it's reliable I've had, oh, I can't remember what machines, but they're, they're like the 200 amp DC machines. I mean, back in the day, you could get those for like five, 600 bucks. I'm sure they've gone up since then. But I mean, I, I had machines that lasted two, three, four years in a production setting. And the thing is like, I could buy four of those before I bought a Lincoln or a Miller. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was always my, as a business person, the one with the credit card, like, okay, if it shits out, like we'll just buy another one and it'll be here in three days and we'll be good to go. Since then, my diva, I mean, my lovely welders, <laughs> they, they have their nice blue machines. So we're, we're all Miller right now. Pretty much all, I think all of our machines are the DC. So I think that's the max star 200 amp. And I mean, we, we just, we don't need anything bigger than that. And we, we don't weld any aluminum or anything. So we, we can get away with the DC. Most of them, I think we've actually bought used. I think we have one new one and it, I think those are like three or four grand new and I've got a couple of those. I, I'm, I'm cheap. So I found like a couple for like 1500 bucks, two grand. And again, they, 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 they work. So yeah. they, I think we got four or five of those at, at our different weld stations. Most of the stuff is going to be trigger. So just hold the trigger on off. No full pedal. It's all going to be settings because we're welding the same thing over and over. We kind of have our set settings. So that's pretty handy. I think we used to do pulse. I, it's kind of up to the guys. Like, however, again, I don't really care how you get there as long as the weld looks good, but I don't, th- I don't think we're doing any pulse anymore. And then we also have one, I believe just the one rotisserie. So we're welding like a tank head onto a barrel mm-hmm. and we have that in not CNC, but it's, it's semi-automated. I think that's hooked up to a, to a miller as well. I think that might actually be pulse, but that, that's kind of a, 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 that's actually a really cool setup that it's all handmade and you lock it down and it welds probably the, I think it's a two foot diameter tank. So whatever that circumference is, I mean, it's a lot of, a lot of inches of weld and it welds it in like three minutes Dang. and it's all the time. This one of the welders just hits go. They're watching, making sure the puddle doesn't get too crazy or squirrely. And yeah, I mean, it, if you had to do that by hand, it would probably be 10 times as long. So that's, that's a cool machine. I love watching that thing get welded. Actually, if you go to our, our Instagram or talk, you can see that. I think I have it pinned on our TikTok. It's it's like the whole process of making one of our nano tanks from because mm-hmm. we, we we bring that in as its raw sheet and we're rolling it and forming it and seaming it. So we actually have a lot of good welding content That's uh, awesome. for that video. Yeah, actually, definitely check out TikTok for sure. I don't know if we have it pinned on Instagram, but definitely TikTok. It's it's a cool video. I actually shot that with Jimmy. Jimmy's one of our, our welders, and cool. the, he was my. My stunt, my stunt man doing all the well <laughs> and the grinding and stuff. But yeah, it's a cool process. It, it, it really shows from really start to finish raw sheet of steel being made into a tank. That's all. I'll definitely like put links to that because that I know people would want to see. That. I want to see that personally too. So like, I'm, yeah, no, it's really cool. We like, we don't get a lot of fabricators necessarily that are, well, I'll put it this way. Our, our main demographic isn't fabricators, but that's one of our best videos we have on social media because it's just, it sucks you in it. It's just, it's such a cool thing. I think people just appreciate seeing how stuff is made. So yeah, definitely check it out. Yeah. 
I mean, welding in general is very satisfying to watch. It's like, yeah. especially if you can get like the arc shots, being able to actually see the puddle and everything. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's been a ton of the questions I had. But as far as the podcast goes, I always end with advice. And since you are a business owner and you've built this business, like what would be some of the best advice you could give to people who are either trying to start their own business or take their business and propel it to that next level? Yeah, that's a good question. I would say if you're going to be a a welder and let's say you're working at a company right now and you want to you're thinking about doing it as a side hustle and turning into something full time. I would go in knowing that it's not going to be glamorous. Mm-hmm. I think that was the one thing when, when I started my business, I thought it was going to be yachts and private jets and girls all day long. And what I realized is all day long was work <laughs> like 10, 12, 14 hour work days because you do everything. You are accounting, you are engineering, you are going to be the welder. You're going to be customer support. You're going to be everything. So know that the first couple of years is probably going to be a break even. It's probably going to be a lot of long hours. It's going to be a lot of pain. It's going to be you welded 50 parts and you give them to your, your the, buy, the guy buying them and you welded all 50 of them wrong and now you're doing it for free again or you're paying for the material. Like You might lose money. So I think going in knowing that that might be an option is, is something I don't think a lot of people necessarily realize. I think being an entrepreneur and a business owner is super glamorized and it's just, it's not. It's taken me 15 years to kind of get to the point where I don't have to do everything day to day. I have a really good team that lets me live in a completely different state than where the our facility is. The other big thing too, and I, I, I think this is across the board with anyone looking to start their own business, is don't go full time until it makes sense. And what I mean by that is, work for someone else and grind on the side until you're making enough income and have enough clients or enough jobs or whatever it is where it's okay. I'm working now six hours on the side and I'm making as much as I'm making at my current job where you can transition and you're going to take a pay cut because now you're losing your first income or which will be your second income. But going and just saying, I'm going to quit and go start my side hustle is not it's not the way to do it. Build it up slow. Get buy the proper equipment. Use the money that you're making in your job to buy the proper equipment. Use that time to set up a website, build out the network, pound on doors, whatever it might be. I think a lot of people just say, I'm gonna one day like I'm gonna start my business and go jump into it. Where I just don't think that's the right way to do it. Like businesses, it's really expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean if you had to buy a quality welder, let's say you even get an Everlast, you know, I mean, let's say you need an A C D C machine, you're probably at least thousand, fifteen hundred bucks. Like that's a good chunk of change right there. And that's not a consumable than everything else you need to outfit a shop. So that, that's probably my biggest piece of advice to, to anyone, not necessarily just welding, but across the board is, is know that's going to be expensive and don't jump in until it, it's painful where like you're losing money on your side hustle because you have to go to your eight to five or you guys like six to two. Yeah. Yeah, man. They, they do like, like welders love that early morning. And then I got my afternoon. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of the Well.com podcast. And thank you, Ben, for chatting with me. I can't wait to try one of these systems out for myself someday. 
I also want to give a shout out to our amazing sponsors, Lincoln Electric, Outlaw Leather, Arc Labs, and ESOB for making the show possible and helping us all learn about the different pathways available in the welding industry. If you have a topic that you would like to have covered on the show or want to be a guest, shoot me a message on the Weld app at BoDidIt or send me an email to BoW at Weld.com. Speaking of the app, if you're trying to get into the sanitary welding world to do work in breweries, our host Jeff Ray has an awesome video on sanitary welding available in our e-learning section. Download the app today and see everything it has to offer to help take your career to that next level. Until next week, we'll see you out there.